It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 706 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful. And if you want to argue with me, that would be fun, too. I do enjoy a nice discussion, respectful, of course. If you have a question that you want to explore my range of knowledge about, want to decide whether or not I know what I'm talking about, you're welcome to call. Give me a buzz. We'll talk it out. 404 872 We've got who in here first tonight? It comes uh, Wade in Griffin, Georgia. Hey, Wade, good morning. Yeah, uh, I've got a question about trying to grow almonds in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, I know that uh, the research I found out that an almond and a peach tree are like uh, very, very closely related. Yeah, they're almost they're hard to tell apart. Closer than kissing cousins, they sure are. Yeah. Now, is there any reason why you can't grow almonds in Georgia? Because, mm, I mean, I, I... weather, winter weather is mostly it, Wade. When the almonds are more sensitive to temperature swings, almonds and cherries, both sweet cherries, are both very sensitive to things going up and down and up and down. So what are we going to have tonight? It's going to be in the low 40s, tomorrow 42. But it's going to be 66 tomorrow afternoon. And so we heard a caller earlier say, hey, my cherry tree is blooming right now. What's going to happen? Will it be frozen off? Same thing with an almond. Your almond might come out and bloom in late January on a warm weekend then. All the flowers get frozen off of it, and nobody gets any almonds off of it. So that's the real reason you can't grow them here, Wade. Yeah, it's just it's that, and uh didn't know if also if the same pests and all the things that affect uh, yeah. peaches would also affect Yeah, almond. gosh, yeah. Everything that likes a peach likes an almond, <clears throat> likes an almond too. you got, uh, let's see, black, brown rot, you got scab, scurf, uh, the curculio, I could name a number of things of bugs and diseases that like almonds and peaches equally much. Yeah, sure. But again, it's like... Uh, People growing citrus trees in Georgia yeah. It's one of those things you think that can't be done. But People do uh, it, I'm gonna, sure. I'm going to try it just, just to see. Wait, uh, dude, it, I it, want uh, you to do it. I want you to report back to me because you may be the, the bleeding edge of horticultural research in Griffin, Georgia, which it has been for 100 years now because it celebrated the big anniversary a couple of months ago. So why not do the research there in Griffin and let us know what goes on? Yeah, I'm also going to plant some in Lawrence County. Also, a friend of mine yeah. has 40 acres down there, and yeah. so we're going to put some on her property too. Yeah, it's warmer down there. It might do better down there. Sure. Well, thank you for the information. Hey, Wade, it's great talking to you. Have fun with it. Let me know. I sure will. All right, we'll Good see you soon. When we go on our garden trips to countries that are a lot warmer than here, in Italy, southern Italy is an example. There'll be lots and lots of almond trees there. And the almond fruit itself, you may not know this, but the almond fruit looks just like a peach. It's only about as big as, hmm, it's a little bit bigger than a ping pong ball, a little bit bigger than a ping pong ball. And the fruit, when it ripens, simply is harvested from the tree. And then the skin, the, the, the skin and the pulp underneath it are taken away. It's a seed inside, just like when you skin a peach or you peel a peach, you know, you have the peach pit inside. That's what an almond is, is the pit of an almond fruit. And so they take the skin and the pulp off of the uh, almond fruits, and what's left is the almond seed, and then they process it, of course, and dry it and salt it and 
make it into snacks for you to watch football games with. So that's how almonds are grown and, and, and harvested over in California. Of course, they what is the percentage? It's like 90% of the world's almonds. It's not high, that high, I'm sure, but it's a lot of the world's almonds are grown in California, in the San Joaquin Valley. And they've just got miles, miles and miles and miles of nothing but almond trees on both sides of the highway as far as you can see. That's where all the honeybees go to pollinate the almonds. They have to have a pollinator to come in and move the pollen around from tree to tree. And so the the almond business in California is a lot easier to do than here in Georgia because the temperature swings in the San Joaquin Valley are uniformly warm. They don't go very far one way or the other. That's why almonds grow in California. And that's why they don't grow so well in Georgia. We've got Joe in Cumming, Georgia, who joins us. Hey, Joe, good morning. Good morning. Hey, Joe, what's up? I got a question. Our, um, I live in a pretty woodsy area, and our neighbors have pachysandra that covers a big portion of their yard, and it's hmm. just um, growing into my yard and got an outbuilding, and it's actually growing up the side of that building and kind of taking things over, and I want to get rid of it. I don't want to do damage to my neighbor's yard. I'm wondering if yeah. what the best way to deal with it would be. And that's, that's, given that it's a vine, I don't want to hit it with Roundup. Yeah, or, that's funny, Joe, because up until the point where you said it, it's climbing up the walls of my building, I thought, well, he's got Pakistander. But then, in my experience, either the native nor the Japanese, neither the native nor the Japanese Pakistander climb anything. They cover the ground pretty well, but climbing? How high do they go up the wall of your building, Joe? Uh, it's going right to the roof. It's one story, but... Wait a second. Right this isn't Pakistander. I don't think this is something else not Pakistander. Why Why do you think it's Pakistander? Did your neighbor tell you that? Or? Uh, no, I actually have no idea what it is. Okay, all right. It's, why not English ivy? It sounds, to, sounds more like English ivy to me than Pakistander. Okay. All right. If it's English ivy, then yeah, it comes across from my neighbor's yard into my yard, comes up in my azaleas, and I don't like it at all. So, um, uh-huh. if indeed, let's just let's take just for for the fun of it. Let's say, yeah, you do have English ivy, not Pachysandra, and so for that, the mm, boy, the options are limited, but they're basically what I outlined for other weeds this morning. You pull it, you pull it out of the ground, or you spray it one or the other, or both. And on the side of the building, it's not a it's not a parasite or anything. It doesn't climb and suck juice out of trees at all. But if you sever the vine wherever you care to cut the vine, anything beyond that point dies eventually after a month or two. So on your building, if you don't like it on the building, it's going to be tough. But you have to just pull it, scrape it, get it off the sides of the building, and yeah. then maybe use a trimmer or a lawnmower one. Either one would work, and just make a like a no man's land, no ivy land between your buildings or shrubs or wherever you don't want to just mow it down. Okay. It's a pretty big area. Yeah. So I, I'd love to spray it, you know, go in there with a fire hose of Roundup. If you, Will if, that damage the neighbors, though, because it's a vine? Only if it um, drifts onto the green leaves of his plants. It does not go backward in the vine more than 10, 12 inches, maybe. I know that because, like I say, I spray my neighbors. He gave me permission to spray on his side of the fence and get a little no-man's land between my yard and his yard. And so I keep a three-foot-wide no-man's land of no ivy between my yard and his, and I just spray it with Roundup, just regular old Roundup in a sprayer once every couple of months, maybe. That's all it takes, Joe. 
it won't die quickly. I, I promise you, it will not die quickly. You'll think it's not going to do anything. But after about a month, you look at it and the leaves start turning yellow, big brown spots on them, they fall off. And if I have to come back and spray one more time, I will, but I'm not impatient about it. Eventually, the ivy dies sprayed with Roundup. Great. Okay, that helps. Thank you. All right. And go check, Joe, just to be sure. Make sure that it is ivy. I think that's what exactly what we're talking about. I do not think it's Pachysandra. But, you know, it's always good to be sure you know what you're talking about, or I know what I'm talking about anyway. <laughs> Let's go to the phone with Eddie and you, Harley. Eddie, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm fine, brother Eddie. What can I do for you? I have a young weeping cherry tree oh, nice. that has gotten a white powder mildew i guess all over it everywhere um, but the, uh what would be the leaves you know what that the reminds trunk, me Eddie. Branches, there was everything a guy two weekends ago who called and said almost the same thing powdery he used the words powdered sugar is what he said and i said yeah, well, that's no, about th- what it's like what is it like eddie you can take your finger and rub it, and it just falls off. What the devil It's a real fine powder. Yeah. And do you only see it at this time of year, only now in the wintertime? Yeah, this is the first time I've seen it at all. I asked that guy. It wasn't on there I'm... all during the summer or the spring yeah. or anything. It wasn't there. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking about him right now, because I said, hey, how about sending me some pictures of that? Did he send me pictures, Eddie? No, he did not. So if he had, okay. I'd be able to say, Eddie, I figured out what it is. But at this point, Brother Eddie, you are the man. You are the powdery, sugary, whatever the stuff is, man. And you have got to take some pictures with your cell phone. And uh, if you want to use those, there's a way. I'm not sure how to do it quite from the cell phone. If you put it on your computer, you just open up an email. Maybe you know how to do this already, Eddie. You open up an email, mail it to georgiegardner at yahoo.com. And I'll take a look at it, see what it is. Powdery stuff on cool. a cherry tree. What in the devil would that be on the trunk? I mean, not, you know what a lichen is, Eddie? No. Uh, lichens are the sort of scaly, I guess is the best way to describe it. Scaly, gray-green, they cover the bark of all sorts of plants. I, uh, pine trees and azaleas and dogwoods and crepe myrtles and just about every vertical trunk in Georgia has a lichen of some sort on it. And lichens are just, again, gray-green, sort of scaly. Some are a little bushy. They've got sort of a tendril look to them. And lichens don't hurt the plant at all. They're mainly an indicator of a weak plant, of a weak crabapple, a weak dogwood, one that doesn't have a lot of leaves on it. The lichen didn't cause it. It's just taking advantage of a nice place above the ground to grow. And so lichens is the only other thing I can think of to be, but you would not describe them as powdery. They don't rub off. They're tightly attached to the bark. They don't come off very easily. So what could that be? Hmm, Eddie, you got that cell phone? I don't know. As soon as it gets light enough where I can get out there and get a good picture, I will send it to you. You will be a benefactor. It's driving me crazy. Yeah, me too. Now that I have two people saying the same thing. And take not one, not two, but take two or three from different, you know, different aspects and viewpoints and whatever you think I'll need to see. And you will help all the gardeners who listened to the show last two weeks ago and want to know, what about that powdery stuff on the cherry tree? And Eddie, you be the man. I'll do it. All right, man.
Thank you very much. You bet, Eddie. Thanks for calling. Drive safely, my friend. 404-872-0750 is my number. We'll be back to Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the Lawn and Garden advice you need. We get it almost every night And when that moon gets a big and bright It's supernatural delight Every border was dancing in the moonlight I see the moon through the studio windows right now. Is the moon shining outside, Jason? I'm going to guess the sun's not out yet. I can promise you that. The moon's somewhere. All right. Well, the moon may be shining bright. We just don't know about it. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Saturday, mostly sunny today. High of 57, low of 40. Sunday, sunny day. High of 66, low of 42. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Arden is up in Canton, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Arden, good morning. Hey, hey, Walter, how are you? Hey, brother, doing fine. What's up? Okay, so I got a crate myrtle that um, half of it's died. Oh. And it's it's a, a an, an accent tree. So last year I I cut the, the dead trunk out, and I'm just kind of letting the shoots grow up. Uh-huh. Uh, is there anything else I need to do to try so I can get that thing to recover? When you said it was an accident tree, just one that sprung up from who knows where? No, no, it's it's one that's got a light on it for my house, for my property. <laughs> Night light, you know. Okay. And so how much of it is still there and how much of the sprouts? Give me some idea oh, of size. A good, a good half, of the, I mean, a good half of the tree is still there. I've got a trunk probably about five inches. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's still bloomed. It still looks nice, but, you, you know... Uh, Kurt Myrtles, you want, like, I mean, I've always told, I'm from Ohio originally, so yeah. I was always told you, you want to have, like, three or an odd number of sprouts coming up, trunks coming up out of the ground or whatever. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's as true as I can think of, Arden. Yeah, um, and so you can choose some of the sprouts if you have two or three that look pretty straight. You can choose one, two, whatever it would take to make an odd number. Usually odd numbers look better to our eyes. An odd number of main trunks coming out. Take the rest of them off. Just clip them off down at the base, and let the ones that are sprouting out now become new trunks. It'll take a couple of years, maybe, but pretty soon you'll have a nice looking crate where it'll bloom like it normally does. It'll have that little wonky wonk down there at the bottom where you clipped off the other the other sprouts, but that's no big deal. It won't be noticeable to anybody but you. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there. pretty much covered with mulch too. So. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, I've got a, a cherry tree that's just sad. Mm. <laughs> um, it's got this little scaly, uh, I call it like the beginning stages of coral all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, over the last year or so, just had branches that are just dropping off. I, yeah. I think it's dying. I, I'd hate to lose that tree because, again, it's, it's up right in the flower bed by the house and you know, it's a cherry tree. Yeah, well, I think you're you're talking exactly about what I was telling to the caller just before you, and you were saying that lichens, sort of a scaly coral, that's not a bad description of it. Some of it can be branchy, tufty-looking things that they grow off the bark of a tree. 
And lichens, as I said to him, are harmless to the tree. They're simply the fact that the cherry tree is losing limbs, losing foliage, got a lot more sunshine coming into the bark of the tree. And the lichen just likes it there on the bark of anything, dogwood, crepe myrtle, pine tree, they grow up anything that has a trunk. And so the real key is, can you recover the cherry tree? And you may not be able to. I grant that. Sometimes they're too far gone to do much with them. But if you can think of some way to recover the cherry tree, either by fertilizing a little more, maybe pruning out all the dead limbs and seeing if it recovers healthily from that, or you may just decide, man, it's too far gone. I'm going to dig it up, give me another one in there, a nice healthy cherry tree, and try again for the next 10 or 15 years to have a pretty tree there. Okay, so I just kind of put fertilizer in it would be the, the first option? The first option. You might, might as well try that. And the fertilizer to use is just any... Anything that has a first number around 10 and a middle number, I really like it to be less than 4. So and if you can four, find okay. 16, 4, 8, for instance, that'd be nice. That'd be terrific. 16, 4, 8, 5, 10, 15, not so good, okay. but 15, 0, 15, that'd be fine. Okay. Thanks, Walter. All right. Good talking to you, Arden. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You bet, man. One of the things that is interesting about lichens is how they grow. They are interesting in the sense that they're a two things growing in the same place, basically. They're an algae and a fungus that love each other. That's literally what happens. The algae is covered by a fungus. The algae photosynthesizes, giving it the green color, and the fungus keeps it from drying out, which algae would hate to be dried out. So the lichens that grow on a tree, this algae-fungus symbiotic relationship, just grow there. And they're actually a pretty good indicator of good quality air. If you have poor air, if you have you know, a city that has a lot of pollution, stuff like that, you have less lichens on trees there than you do out in the countryside. And so lichens are a nice thing. And one more thing that I think is really interesting, one of the very first people to theorize that that's what a lichen is, or I guess was at that time, the algae and the fungus put together, one of the very first people to, to do that was the writer of the Peter Rabbit Tales. Peter Rabbit, who's, I forgot her name, but anyway, the woman who wrote Peter Rabbit was a botanist besides being a writer. She said, I think this is what this is. He had a microscope good enough to look down and see the structure of the lichen she was studying. So that's one use of lichens is just as a, sort of the um, indicator plant of poor air or a poor plant as well. But it's also a food source, and you may know this, that moose and elk and deer and things like that, where they have a lot of snow covering the ground, they'll go in and eat the lichens off of shrubbery, off the ground, off the rocks, off things like that, that the lichen is growing on too. So it's a good food source as well. You know, I promised promised Crystal Wheeler, who was screening calls this morning, that I would talk about the Atlanta Journal-Constitution because I want you to subscribe to it. Why? Not only because the Sunday edition is full of stuff about what happened last week, And it seems like every week has something new and different happening in Washington. And this coming week, as the Georgia legislator comes up, the things that are happening under the Gold Dome in Atlanta will be awful interesting to read about on Sundays. That's why you subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can do like me and subscribe seven days a week. Sunday is just a bonus because not only the news, but also it's got like hundreds of dollars worth of coupons in there. You get a lot of savings on the coupons. But you also get... My column every Thursday, my column, Lawn and Garden Questions and Answers in the Thursday Living section of the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Man, you got you can't live without it. Look it up, AJC.com. They're credible, they're compelling, they are complete. The Atlanta Journal and Constitution. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. 
It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's a good Saturday morning, 7.34 this morning, 44 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be successful. You decide. If you want to be successful doing anything in the garden with your lawn, with your trees, with your shrubs, with your flowers, with your bulbs, what else can I cover? Bugs in the house. We had a caller last week about the ladybugs and the stink bugs all in the house, and man, they were a mess for him. Stink! Woo. Bugs in the house. Squirrels raccoons, snakes. I just had my neighbor two nights ago sent me a text and said, hey, we found a gecko in the house. What are we going to do? Well, I didn't get the text until a little bit later when I finally texted her back. Said, what happened to the gecko? She said, well, my, my daughter, who is in college at uh, Medical College of Georgia in Augusta, got a piece of Tupperware and a piece of cardboard and put it underneath the Tupperware and the cardboard, you know, and took it outside. I was so disappointed. I wanted to see a gecko in North Decatur, Georgia, but what we think happened, obviously, because Chrissy says they have geckos all over the place in Augusta. <laughs> of course, the gecko was on her car, on her luggage, on something that came back from, from Augusta with her. It was in the house, in the den, you know, crawling around, and that's when her mom said, ah! Gecko here, and Chrissy went and got the gecko. Chrissy, I will brag on her for just a minute. She is my teenage, well, not she's not a teenager anymore. She's uh, older than teen, but she back when she was ten, I guess it was ten or eleven, she would just about every day bring in a squirrel that she had caught in her little cage trap, and she would talk about the squirrel. We would talk about it at night, uh, in the evening, I should say, after school. And I uh, would name the squirrel, and she would feed it an acorn or a pecan or something. And then within an hour or two, she would let it go. Maybe it was the same squirrel every time. I'm not sure. But whenever the phone rang around 4 o'clock, back in those days when she was a youngster, it was going to be Chrissy and the squirrel with a name, a new name for that squirrel. I have another teenage friend now who has a hamster she's keeping during the college break for one of her college friends who is named for the president of Emory College. So... Claire. <laughs> so Claire is running around the house, running around the house with her ball out here and me and a real nice little hamster there. 404-872-0750 is the number. And by the way, my friend Shannon Pable texted me and said, it's Beatrix Potter. Beatrix Potter, who is the writer that wrote the Peter Rabbit Tales and who is also a botanist and knew about the, the lichens as well. Deborah is in Ackworth, joins us on Lawn and yes. Garden. Hey, Deborah. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. How can I help? Well, I want some information about eastern diamondback rattlesnakes. Ooh. Are they very common in Georgia? I would say common, common. They're found in Georgia, yes. Sure. Okay. Well, I think I killed one the other day. Ah! <laughs> and now there's about 100 people in my audience who are saying, ah! <laughs> yeah, Weird. It was, about, uh, it was a young one, yeah. and I looked it up on the internet after I'd uh, disposed of it, and uh, that was as close as I could come to it. And it was mm. about four, four or five foot long. That wasn't a young And one just laying over. across my driveway. Yeah, it was laying mm. across my driveway. Huh. And uh, my husband uh, couldn't get in the driveway because the snake was there. And he's deathly scared of snakes. Well, my sister lives up in uh, Cartersville, and she and her husband 
saw one on the little road that rose up by the house and ran over it three, one, two, three times with their van. Did uh-huh. not kill it yet. And she has a video and that she sent to us all of this. You know, the state snake did not look healthy and happy, but he crawled somehow off the road into the weeds by the road there. So, yeah, there are rattlesnakes, certainly rattlesnakes in Georgia. Ackworth okay. not too far from Cartersville. Could be. And, of course, on Probably. the driveway, he was just sunning, trying to get warmed up because they're cold-blooded animals. Yeah, obviously. he was. Uh, yeah, before I figured out it was a uh, diamondback, I uh, had a shovel. I was going to move it. And then it started crawling back towards the house. I said, no, you can't do that. And mm. I picked him up and mm. with the shovel. And then he, I heard his little rattle. And I thought, uh. okay, you're not going to be around here much longer. <laughs> You know, there are some snakes, of too, Deborah. I don't want you to think that just the rattle identifies right. a snake because there are some snakes that will rattle their tail in and it will rattle a little bit, but they're not rattlesnakes. They're different other hognose snakes and others who, who just rattle to scare you and think, make you think they're a rattlesnake. And I yeah, wish well, I, you'd take a picture of it because I always love to get pictures of things that are a little out of the ordinary, a little <clears throat> not normal. It's not normal, frankly, to see a diamond yeah. rattlesnake in the winter in Ackworth, but it would have been fun to see a picture of it. Well, I'll try to remember that next time I find one. <laughs> you won't get too close, though, will you, Deborah? Oh, no, 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 I won't. You'll be far, far away but... from that rattlesnake. All well, right. Well, thank you very much. You know, one more thing, Deborah. Since we were talking yes, about sir. snakes in general, there are listeners right now who are saying, wait, wait, get to the point, Walter. How do you keep any kind of snake off your driveway, out of your yard, out from under the shed? What do you do for snakes? And I wanted to point out that there is not a snake repellent that works. There's a lot of things that people sell. There's mothballs and sulfur and ground glass, and I'm sure there are bunches of things that people sell, but they don't work. And so the only thing that really works to repel any snake is to modify the environment enough so that they think, well, it's no fun in Deborah's yard. I'm going to go over here to somebody else's yard, Walter's yard. Yeah, he's got all those rocks I can be on, a bunch of mice underneath his shed I can eat, and maybe a water feature in the back where I can get some water to drink and a fish to eat. And so modifying the environment by mowing the lawn, by making sure you don't have too many frogs and bugs underneath the sheds, by uh, keeping all the stacks of logs and rocks and things away from the back door. Those are the things Uh to do to keep snakes away. And if you got a driveway, occasionally you're going to see not necessarily a rattlesnake, but you may see little brown snakes and little uh, garter snakes and other things because it's just warm. They like a place that's warm. So they'll come out there and sun around on it till they get warm enough. Yeah, I, I do have the little garden snakes and stuff like that, and yeah. I just pick them up and throw them yeah, into exactly. the woods. Yeah, exactly. Most of us yeah. do. Throw them in the woods, let them deal with themselves. But you had something you didn't want to deal with and pick up and, no, and throw to the not. woods at all. <laughs> Deborah, good luck with it. Next time, take me a picture and show it to me. I'd love to see it. Okay. All right, I sure will. Thank you, Walter. Thanks, Deborah. We'll see you soon. we got Danny in Snellville as well. Hey, Danny, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Reese. Good morning. Doing? I'm doing all right. What you got? Yeah, I was wondering about, uh, you know, years ago when uh, I lived, uh, we lived on a farm in Snellville up over here and had a lake, and Dad used to make me go out there and trim around the lake, you know, with, yeah. them, with them old uh, sling blades. Yeah, oh gosh, sling blades. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Back in, but this was like in the late 60s. I used to dig up these daggum real ugly bugs that was in down. When I dig, when I trim around the Johnson grass, you know, yeah, and a wire grass, I dig down, I hit the, and I'd hit the ground. These real ugly bugs would come out of the ground. Hmm. I've got 
something like a some some kind of mite bug. It was real black, you know, had real pointed little yeah fangs looking things. So anyway, what's your what's your question, then, Danny? Well, what 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 was the actual name of those bugs? Oh. If you said I was in the mud of the lake, I'd say, well, probably the larvae of damselflies and dragonflies, because they're ugly, but they live in the mud. They don't live in the, the base of grass clumps around the yeah, lake these, there. These are in the mud, too. And all that mucky uh, Johnson yeah. grass and whatever yeah. else grows right at the edge of the lake. I don't know, Dan. Nothing comes straight to mind that would grow in the grass around the lake. Again, in the mud, yeah, dragonfly larvae, ugly, 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 and... Uh, most people don't even recognize there'd be any kin to a dragonfly, which is a pretty insect, of course. But the larvae, big eyes, brown, sort of crawl real slowly through the mud. Boy, they're mm, not not pretty. So yeah, I don't know what your bug is, Danny, to be honest with you. But if you ever go back to... I was thinking helgamite or something like that, some kind of a mite bug, some kind of... A... Yeah, but helgamite's a big thing. Helgamite's... Uh, Five inches long? You didn't say five inches long, did you? Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't that big. Probably okay. about maybe an inch and a half, two inches. Nah. nah anyway, no, the other thing was, uh, Mr. Reed, uh, back a year, back in the late 60s, you know, when my dad was friends with Mr. Pike. You know, yeah, sure. Was, there used to be a, one of them, I think it was at uh, Buford Highway and Claremont Road. Sure it was, that. absolutely. Where Aldi is now. Excuse me? Uh, where the Aldi store is now is where the old Pike used to be, where the headquarters of Pike used to be. At, you know, at well, we used, yeah, uh, when he built that farmhouse, when he built the farm up, man, I went to Pike back to that Pike, that particular Pike's because his uh, plumbing company was near there, but I used to go to that, plump, that Pike's all the time in oh, there. Sure. It seemed like I've been listening to you for been that many years. So. Danny, in, ni- in 2019... January, what today is today? <clears throat> today is the 5th day of January. On January the 15th, 2019, it'll be 25 years doing this sorry thing. 25 <laughs> years entertaining Danny and Snellville to make sure he That's knows right. what he's doing. As I'm telling how much I've planted listening to you, your show, you know, all the stuff I've been able to plant and take care of my Yeah, learn, learn a little bit here and there about it. Well, Danny, I appreciate the call, and I'll tell Mr. Pike you said hello. And uh, I appreciate the memory. It used to be their headquarter building. It was an old house there at um, Buford Highway and Claremont Road. And I would went there a lot myself and shopped. And uh, they would have their sort of staff meeting in the dining room. And Miss Pike would cook things for people to eat while they had their staff meeting. It was a fun little place to go to because the Pike back then used to be very small. They only had about five or six stores. And so Mr. Pike and the rest of the Pike kids and Miss Pike would uh, meet there in the, in the house there at Claremont and Buford Highway next to the nursery. 404-872-0750 is the number if you want to call in and tell me what you know or what you think I might know for you. One of the things I want to mention is that if you have not subscribed to our newsletter, I'm always surprised when people say, no, I didn't know you had a newsletter. I got the best thing going. <laughs> I'm not bragging either. I got the best thing going when it comes to the newsletter that we do every other Thursday. We send it out for free. It's nothing but pictures of garden problems that people have sent to me in the previous week that included a picture. And I get some of the most interesting questions, most interesting situations that people pose to me. Let's see what was in the last one here. Is one about <clears throat> the Bradford pear that had the holes all in the trunk. And the guy said, do I have to cut down my Bradford pear? It would be damaged. It's going to collapse on me. It was nothing but sapsucker holes. And many of you know what a sapsucker is. They're birds. They're woodpeckers. And they peck holes in the trunk of 
magnolias and uh, Bradford pears, of course, and many, many other trees, hickories and pecans. And the sapsucker holes might, to some, look like borers, and to others, this guy thought it was just some big monstrous thing that had attacked his Bradford pear. And so he wanted to know, well, now, do I take the Bradford pear down? I said, well, friend, it's 19 years. He's had it 19 years. And I said, this is about the time when Bradford pears begin to sort of self-destruct anyway, naturally. All the limbs start falling out and they, uh, you know, limbs break onto the top of your car. And so you may want to take the Bradford pear down just because it's about to self-destruct anyway, but it's not because the sapsucker pounded all those holes in there. There were 20 or 30 maybe in the picture that he sent me. So that was one of the questions in the newsletter that I covered and put on that. That was last Thursday. Another one was about Virginia creeper. Virginia creeper is a vine. It looks somewhat similar on the outer, outer looking at it, like poison ivy. And so people will send me pictures of their poison ivy and say, is this poison ivy or is it Virginia creeper? Generally speaking, Virginia creeper has five leaflets, one, two, three, four, five. Poison ivy has three. One, two, three. So leaves of three, leave it be. It's poison ivy. Leaves of five can stay alive. So the question was, does Virginia creeper always have five leaflets? And so I went out to my Virginia creeper vine and took pictures of the leaves when or leaflets when there are five, when there are four, and once there were three on my Virginia creeper vine. So no, it's not always true that it has five leaflets on Virginia creeper. Most of the time it's five, sometimes four, once in a great while, three, and I gave some hints on how to tell the difference between Virginia creeper and poison ivy. Again, the newsletter is free. How do you get it? How do you get something so valuable as this great email newsletter? You go to my website, WalterReeves.com. Up in the upper right-hand corner, it says subscribe to newsletter. Punch that button. You get to talk to me, or not talk to me, but you get to send a uh, an email, get sent an email from WSB saying, hi, you're subscribed for the newsletter. Every other Thursday, you will get a copy of it. Got it. All right, good. It's 748 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 430 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. Well, it's all. best you can. Of course, I'm doing the best I can this morning. A quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, Saturday, mostly sunny. High 57, low 40 tonight. Sunday will be sunny. High 66 tomorrow, low of 42 overnight. Oh boy, it's going to be fun. Full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Bill is out in Mableton, Georgia, joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Bill, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Hey, Bill. I'm doing great. What you got? Well, I, I put some weed and feed out last fall or early, you know, say like July. Mm, okay. And then I planted fescue All right, that's good. in October. Mm-hmm. But apparently my little thing that spreads weed and feed out didn't cover it all. I've got little mm-hmm. strips of 
of weeds between the fescue, mainly ah. wild violets and stuff like that. Yeah. Will it hurt my fescue to go out and just take a spray to spray that? Have you been able to mow the fescue a couple of times first? No, no. The fescue is is hadn't touched. It's probably inch and a half high now. It's yeah. way too low for mowing. When did you fertilize it, Bill? Last time? Uh, probably when I planted in October. I yeah. just used straight fertilizer. Really. All right. You 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 missed the fertilization in November, or December, and that's the reason the fescue isn't tall right now. It should be tall enough for you to have to mow at least once in the wintertime. Got real, you know, tall because of the fescue, the fertilizer, I mean, that you put out. And so typically my rule of thumb on spraying for wild violets is don't spray anything on young fescue until you've mowed it, at least maybe a couple of times even. So it's tough and it's got a good root system on it and a good good, uh, top. You could, if you're willing to play, Bill, you can play just a little bit. Do not say, do not go out there and spray that whole violet-infested strip in the yard. Don't spray it all, but spray a little part of it with any of the, you know, three, three and four-way weed killers, the bonide that Pike sells or the ortho weed be gone or bio-advanced. Any, any one of those will kill violets, but I don't want you to hurt the fescue. That's, that's what you don't want to do is hurt your grass. Well, I wasn't sure about fertilizing either. Were you supposed to fertilize it in the winter? Yeah, I- man. Twice. No, 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 no. Four times. <laughs> let me let me count for you, Bill. Okay, well. September, I'll, I'll, November, February, early April. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do that. I wasn't sure. I, I thought we wasn't supposed to fertilize stuff until it had a real good growing season, but I well, guess it grows all the time. Great, right? Yeah, fescue is growing pretty rapidly. It misses most of the growth on fescue, root system growth, and certainly top two. Um, happens between September and uh, January, usually. And so you fertilize twice during the fall season, we call it, and then another time in the late winter, February, and another time in early spring and early April. And four fertilizations, man, that makes fescue green. Woo! Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. You have a good day. All right, Bill. Thanks for calling. Thank you, sir. All right, bye. 404-872-0750. Get in on Bill's place right there. And by the way, fescue does not fertilize during the summer. And Bill sort of had had things reversed. You do fertilize things during the growing season, but let's think about fescue. When does it grow? It grows mostly in the fall and spring. So that's when you do the fertilizations, fall, September, November, February, early April. And what about Bermuda grass and zoysia and centipede and St. Augustine? When do they grow? Yeah, you got it. Go in April, May, June, July, you know, through October usually. And so for them, usually two or three, depends on the grass usually, but the Bermuda grass can be fertilized at least three, sometimes four times in the growing season. The zoysia, usually twice. Centipede, almost always once. St. Augustine, twice. So you sort of spread it out once when they're first growing really fast in May. That's the first fertilization. Then every six to eight weeks, maybe after that, depending again on the grass. So... Each lawn grass takes a little bit of different care for it. Knowing the calendar, knowing when your grass does most of its growing, that's important. And speaking of calendars, if you go, whew, got a nice thing for you. If you go to my website, again, WalterReeves.com, and just type the word calendars, plural, calendars, that'll take you to the page. It has all the calendars for the care of each one of the grasses. It tells you for the Fescue calendar, for instance, it'll say fertilize in, in what I just said, September, November, February, April. And it'll tell you when to put down lime, how, how to mow it, how much uh, 
uh, water and things like that it needs. When's the best time to plant seeds? When's the best time to plant sod? All those calendar things you need to know about growing a grass. It's all on WalterReeves.com. Type calendars in the search line. We've got time to get Richard in here. Richard's out in Kennesaw. Hey, Richard, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you doing today? Doing fine, Richard. How can I help? Uh, two quick questions. First is the poeta. Yeah. Annual bluegrass. I got Bermuda. I'm starting to see it pop up. I tried something a little bit different. I actually talked about this earlier in the um, late summer. I did a half application of pre-emergent in August, late August, and then I hit it again in mm. late October. Good deal. Um, and then now I'm starting to see it pop up, but I always have a pretty good crop of it. And I'm, I don't know. Am I just wasting my time to go out there and hit it with image, anything that's green? I think you're doing a good thing for your time. Yes, image will okay. kill poor annual. And what's it in Bermuda grass, you said? Bermuda, yes. Yeah, Bermuda. yeah, image is a image for nut grass. There's two or three image products, but the one that says image for nut grass, that's the one to use. Read the label that says how much to use on okay. your lawn. Right. But, yeah, you can do some, some damage to the... It won't be quick. You won't see it yellow up until no. March, yeah, image. Usually. Yeah, it takes, it's, it's a long slow, run. slow, slow, slow. But yeah, you'll do some more damage to it then. And every every lick you can hit against Poa Annua is a good lick, as far as I'm concerned. So go ahead and try it, Richard. Get some image out there. Repeat the split application next year in the fall. Eventually, you will get it under control. It's 7:58. We'll be back after news.